Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. title of my sermon is, Who Made You Pope? And we're going to talk about faith practices and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, who made you Pope? Ever had someone say that to you? Be honest. <laughs> you know, if, if, if you're the sort who occasionally gets bossy or uh, is a know-it-all, well, <laughs> someone may have asked, who made you Pope? Well, interestingly, uh, today as we gather, you can respond no matter who you are. God did, by the power of your baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I know, I know. We're, we're not even Catholics. So no, one wants to, no one here wants to be Pope anyway. I'm sure most Catholics don't want to be Pope either. Although, frankly, we do, except for Mary. Um, although, we do like being right, <laughs> don't we? And maybe being in control, kind of Pope-like behaviors. Before Martin Luther was a Lutheran, he merely wanted to be a faithful Catholic. And Luther famously once wrote that every Christian parent is pastor, bishop, and pope in their own home. Which meant they had all of those parents a sacred authority and calling to teach, lead, and shape faith in their families. Why? Simple. The Holy Spirit is at work in and through them. Not because any of them are so great or know a lot. It's a Holy Spirit thing. And it doesn't stop there. When we're at work or play, we're the Pope. Again, not in a power-mongering, I'm infallible kind of way, but in a God-is-at-work-in-me kind of way. I have a relationship with God kind of way. I may be a pastor, but God is no more at work in me as a pastor than in uh, Sinead as an educator, Rich as a doctor, Tim as a contractor, Jenny as a graphic artist, and so on and so on. Put in all your names and what you do. As we read in Acts, the Holy Spirit is like a wind that blows onto us, in us, and through us. Just like in creation when God breathed a mighty wind into dust and made you. And as this wind filled believers with the power of God, you had fishermen, tax collectors, and businesswomen suddenly filled with the power of God. This is the story of Pentecost, of course, and something that unfolded in a very public way on the day of Pentecost. People who were watching noticed that these followers of Jesus were acting kind of strange, but also kind of wonderful. So they inquired. Peter obliged them with a stemwinder of a sermon. And many who were listening believed in what Peter said and asked, what should we do? 
What should we do? Matters of church and faith, I think many of us ask that question a lot, especially in uncertain times for the church. What should we do? What do I do? Tell me what to do, Pastor. Well, Peter told them what to do. And by the way, he was no pastor. He was a fisherman who was filled with a story, wasn't he? And a power. And so he said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There it is again. You are a new creation. So they got baptized. But now what? Well, the book of Acts gives us a wonderful account of what the priesthood did next. It says their ranks grew quickly and, quote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And you read further and you understand that they practiced diligently generosity to the poor among them and shared their material wealth with their fellowship. Daily, they praised God and ate together with glad and generous hearts. These are faith practices. All of these. There is the practice of gratitude and generosity. The practice of fellowship is the practice of sharing burdens and building a community given to us by Christ. The practice of prayer, which we'll do a little bit later on in worship, is the practice of conversation with the living God. Worship, what we're doing as we gather, is the practice of encountering the living God. The Apostles' teaching is the practice of dwelling in the Word and then interpreting together and wrestling with our teachings what we believe and how it applies to life. How do we make sense of this? These people described in Acts were getting after it. They were in motion. Didn't have all the answers, but they were getting after it. Now, if these early Christians did none of these faith practices described, would the Holy Spirit still have been working through them? Would God still have been at work in their lives if they worshipped only at Christmas and Easter and lived lives that were in all other ways indistinguishable from other Middle Eastern folks of that time? Would the Holy Spirit still be working through them? Yes. God would still work through them. Luther believed that God is active and at work in all people who are doing good things of any kind that make the world a better place, even people that don't believe in God or believe in a different God. The Holy Spirit is mysteriously loose and at work in those people. But, and this is a big but, it makes a big difference when God says to we people of faith, we're working together. You and I, we have a partnership. 
It makes a big difference when we know we are in a relationship with this God and are seeking to understand what God is up to so that we can cooperate with and partner with God in this world. It makes a big difference when we understand that all goodness comes from God, not us, and we are agents and ambassadors for something much bigger than ourselves, much bigger than any of us. And this is why we have faith practices. Why? To actively partner with the living God as he works with and through us. In many ways, this is nothing other than back to the basics of Christian faith. And this is the linchpin, the center of our way forward. Let me make an analogy with uh, two photos. The, uh, the first photo, you can put it up. Let's say with the first photo, the captain and crew say to themselves, we don't need the sails up and unfurled. We can always put the oars in the water and, and just paddle really hard. Sounds like a lot of work. With the second picture, the sails are unfurled fully. Well, which one will get further, do you think? <laughs> Perhaps the second one, with the sails unfurled? What's the difference? The sails. Both ships have the wind available to them. No? Only one ship can harness the power of the wind to maximum effect. We are like a ship and the wind is the Holy Spirit. If faith for us is only an idea, a bunch of information, something we learn about but not something we practice and do, we're like the first ship with no sails. Can the wind still push the ship? Well, sure, by pushing on the hull of the ship, but that's pretty inefficient. A ship where the sails never go up would tell us that the captain of that ship doesn't really understand how sailing a ship works, how the wind works. The captain, of course, understands that the wind is the power here and we need to catch the wind. There's no mistaking where the power is coming from here, but we need to receive it, work with it. Do our churches today understand where our power comes from? We need to understand, we baptize believers, we popes, that we don't go to church. We are the church, wherever we are, or there is no church. The key to our strategic plan is faith practices. And faith practices are sails that we put up to harness the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith practices are about being the church, not going to church. And you can do them anytime, anywhere. And what that means for us is truly exciting the more we do that. Church Innovations Institute has conducted research over the last 25 years where they ask 
people in churches from many different denominations all over the country about their faith life. What is it like? What is your experience? Okay, this, is, this is really important stuff because this, this provides our, our world, our context. The vast majority, over 90% of those interviewed, and these are church people, describe their faith experience in life on a daily basis with no reference to God as a presence that is at work in their life or world, as the subject of a verb. And this is trending in the wrong direction, by the way. It's called sailing without the sails unfurled. Observers have called this functional atheism. People who believe the idea of God and Jesus in some way, but not their active presence. These are good people who do good things. Don't get me wrong, they're active church people too. They go to church. The truth is, our culture, our world, is gradually becoming more and more suspicious of God talk and religion. We can all cite examples where people who are overzealous and overly religious have caused trouble, and it made us angry. (laughs) And rightfully so. No matter where you go, whether you're in the church or outside of the church, there's plenty of messed up people who don't understand how to use power and know how to love people. The important thing, according to our culture, partly because of that reaction, is doing good things or creating a social club to belong to. And that is what many churches are these days, a social club that tries to do good things. But that doesn't begin to tell the story of who we are. Our story is a God thing, about wind and sails, about a God who sent his Son, who died and rose again and is loose among us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Brother Lawrence long ago coined a phrase, Practicing the presence of God. You ever heard that phrase, practicing the presence of God? It's an intriguing phrase. He meant a lot of things by this, but basically he meant sailing. And this phrase couldn't be more relevant today. If God is present with us always, and God is, what does it look like to practice this? to be aware of it, to act as though God is really with us and at work in us. For Lawrence, this meant cultivating a relationship with the living God through a set of practices. The early Christian church described in Acts 15 was practicing the presence of God. You can hear it in verse 28. Allison uh, took us through that little narrative. Did you catch this line in verse 28? For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Quite simply, a huge decision was made and controversy resolved by allowing the Holy Spirit to be a conversation partner, the lead partner. It's a practice called discernment. Like the people of Pentecost, you may be asking, what do we do now? Well, don't wait for me to plug you into my master plan. I don't have one, nor should I. I do know this, though. 
It's time for all of us to recommit to learning how to put up our sails together and practice the presence of God for the Holy Spirit has been given to each of us. And then get ready, because the thing about the wind is it has a way of taking ships somewhere. It'll take you somewhere. You don't just stay where you are. God has big plans for you and me and us. Amen.